0: chapter twenty seven of the princess casamassima by henry james this librivox recording is in the public domain hyacinth knew there was something out of the way as soon as he saw lady aurora's face look forth at him in answer to his tap while she held the door ajar what was she doing in pinny's bedroom a very poor place into which the dressmaker with her reverence would never have admitted a person of that quality unless things were pretty bad she was solemn too she didn't laugh as usual she had removed her large hat with its limp old-fashioned veil and she raised her finger to her lips hyacinth's first alarm had been immediately after he let himself into the house with his latch-key as he always did and found the little room on the right of the passage in which Pinny had lived ever since he remembered fireless and untenanted as soon as he had paid the cabman who put down his portmanteau for him in the hall he was not used to paying cabmen and was conscious he gave him too much but was too impatient in his sudden anxiety to care he hurried up the vile staircase which seemed viler even through his preoccupation than ever and gave the knock accompanied by a call the least bit tremulous immediately answered by lady aurora she drew back into the room a moment while he stared in his dismay then she emerged again closing the door behind her all with the air of enjoining him to be terribly quiet he felt suddenly so sick at the idea of having lingered at medley while there was distress at the wretched little house to which he owed so much that he scarcely found strength for an articulate question, and obeyed mechanically the mute, urgent gesture by which Lady Aurora appealed to him to go downstairs with her. It was only when they stood together in the deserted parlour—it was as if he perceived for the first time what an inelegant odour prevailed there—that he asked, "'Is she dying? Is she dead?' that was the least the strained sadness looking out from the face of the noble visitor appeared to announce dear mr robinson i'm so sorry for you i wanted to write but i promised her i wouldn't she is very ill we are very anxious it began ten days ago and i suppose i must tell you how much she has gone down lady aurora spoke with more than all her usual embarrassments and precautions eagerly yet as if it cost her much pain, pausing a little after everything she said, to see how he would take it, then going on with a little propitiatory rush. He learned presently what was the matter, what doctor she had sent for, and that if he would wait a little before going into the room, it would be so much better, the invalid having sunk within half an hour, into a doze of a less agitated kind than she had had for some time, from which it would be an immense pity to run the risk of waking her the doctor gave her the right things as it seemed to her ladyship but he admitted that she had very little power of resistance he was of course not a very large practitioner mr buffery from round the corner but he seemed really clever and she herself had taken the liberty as she confessed to this she threw off one of her odd laughs and her colour rose "'of sending an elderly, respectable person, a kind of nurse. "'She was out just then. "'She had to go for an hour for the air. "'Only when I come, of course,' said Lady Aurora. "'Dear Miss Pinson had had a cold hanging about her, "'and had not taken care of it. Hyacinth would know how plucky she was about that sort of thing. "'She took so little interest in herself.' "'Of course, a cold is a cold. "'Whoever has it, isn't it?' said Lady Aurora. Ten days before she had taken an additional chill, through falling asleep in her chair in the evening, down there, and letting the fire go out. It would have been nothing if she had been like you or me, you know, her ladyship went on, but just as she was then it made the difference. The day was horribly damp, and it had struck into the lungs, and inflammation had set in. Mr. Buffery says she was impoverished, just rather low and languid, you know. The next morning she had had bad pains and a good deal of fever, yet she had got up. Poor Penny's gracious ministrant did not make clear to Hyacinth what time had elapsed before she came to her relief, nor by what means she had been notified, and he saw that she slurred this over from the admirable motive of wishing him not to feel that the little dressmaker had suffered by his absence or called for him in vain. This, apparently, had indeed not been the case, if Penny had opposed successfully his being written to. Lady Aurora only said, "'I came in very soon. It was such a delightful chance. Since then she has had everything. Only it's sad to see a person need so little. She did want you to stay. She has clung to that idea. I speak the simple truth, Mr. Robinson.' "'I don't know what to say to you.' you are so extraordinarily good so angelic hyacinth replied bewildered and made weak by a strange unexpected shame the episode he had just traversed the splendour he had been living in and drinking so deep the unnatural alliance to which he had given himself up while his wretched little foster-mother struggled alone with her death-stroke he could see it was that the presentiment of it The last stiff horror was in all the place. The contrast seemed to cut him like a knife, and to make the horrible accident of his absence a perversity of his own. I can never blame you when you are so kind, but I wish to God I had known, he broke out. Lady Aurora clasped her hands, begging him to judge her fairly. Of course, it was a great responsibility for us, but we thought it right to consider what she urged upon us. She went back to it constantly, that your visit should not be cut short. When you should come of yourself, it would be time enough. I don't know exactly where you have been, but she said it was such a pleasant house. She kept repeating that it would do you so much good. Hyacinth felt his eyes filling with tears. She's dying, she's dying. How could she live when she's like that? He sank upon the old yellow sofa the sofa of his lifetime and of so many years before, and buried his head in the shabby, tattered arm. A succession of sobs broke from his lips—sobs in which the accumulated emotion of months, and the strange acute conflict of feeling that had possessed him for the three weeks just past found relief and a kind of solution. Lady Aurora sat down beside him and laid her finger-tips gently on his hand so for a minute while his tears flowed and she said nothing he felt her timid consoling touch at the end of the minute he raised his head it came back to him that she had said we just before and he asked her whom she meant oh mr vetch don't you know i have made his acquaintance it's impossible to be more kind then while for an instant hyacinth was silent wincing pricked with the thought that pinny had been beholden to the fiddler while he was masquerading in high life lady aurora added he's a charming musician she asked him once at first to bring his violin she thought it would soothe her i'm much obliged to him but now that i'm here we needn't trouble him said hyacinth apparently there was a certain dryness in his tone which was the cause of her ladyship's venturing to reply after an hesitation do let him come mr robinson let him be near you i wonder whether you know that-that he has a great affection for you the more fool he i've always treated him like a brute hyacinth exclaimed colouring the way lady aurora spoke proved to him later that she now definitely did know his secret or one of them rather for at the rate things had been going for the last few months he was making a regular collection she knew the smaller, not, of course, the greater. She had decidedly been illuminated by Penny's divagations. At the moment he made that reflection, however, he was almost startled to perceive how completely he had ceased to resent such betrayals, and how little it suddenly seemed to signify that the innocent source of them was about to be quenched. The sense of his larger secret swallowed up that particular anxiety making him ask himself what it mattered, for the time that was left to him that people should whisper to each other his little mystery. The day came quickly when he believed, and yet didn't care, that it had been universally imparted. After Lady Aurora left him, promising she would call him the first moment it should seem prudent, he walked up and down the cold, stale parlour, immersed in his meditations the shock of the danger of losing pinny had already passed away he had achieved so much of late in the line of accepting the idea of death that the little dressmaker in taking her departure seemed already to benefit by this curious discipline what was most vivid to him in the deserted scene of pinny's unsuccessful industry was the changed vision with which he had come back to objects familiar for twenty years The picture was the same, and all its horrid elements, wearing a kind of greasy gloss in the impure air of Lomax's place, made, through the mean window-panes, a dismal chiaroscuro, showed in their polished misery the friction of his own little life. But the eyes with which he looked at it had new terms of comparison. He had known the place was hideous and sordid, but its aspect to-day was pitiful to the verge of the sickening he couldn't believe that for years together he had accepted and even a little revered it he was frightened at the sort of service that his experience of grandeur had rendered him it was all very well to have assimilated that element with a rapidity which had surprises even for himself but with sensibilities now so improved what fresh arrangement could one come to with the very humble which was in its nature uncompromising though the spring was far advanced the day was a dark drizzle and the room had the clamminess of a finished use an ooze of dampness from the muddy street where the areas were a narrow slit no wonder pinny had felt it at last and her small underfed organism had grown numb and ceased to act at the thought of her limited, stinted life, the patient humdrum effort of her needle-and-scissors, which had ended only in a showroom where there was nothing to show, and a pensive reference to the cut of sleeves no longer worn, the tears again rose to his eyes, but he brushed them aside when he heard a cautious tinkle at the house-door, which was presently opened by the little besmirched slavey retained for the service of the solitary lodger a domestic easily bewildered who had a squint and distressed hyacinth by wearing shoes that didn't match though they were of an equal antiquity and resembled each other in the facility with which they dropped off hyacinth had not heard mr vetch's voice in the hall apparently because he spoke in a whisper but the young man was not surprised when taking every precaution not to make the door creak he came into the parlour The fiddler said nothing to him at first. The two men only looked at each other for a long minute. Hyacinth saw what he most wanted to know, whether he knew the worst about Pinny. But what was further in his eyes—they had an expression considerably different from any he had hitherto seen in them—defined itself to our hero only little by little. "'Don't you think you might have written me a word?' said Hyacinth at last. His anger at having been left in ignorance had quitted him, but he thought the question fair. Nonetheless, he expected a sarcastic answer, and was surprised at the mild reasonableness with which Mr. Vetch replied. I assure you, no responsibility in the course of my life ever did more to distress me. There were obvious reasons for calling you back, and yet I couldn't help wishing you might finish your visit. I balanced one thing against the other. It was very difficult.' "'I can imagine nothing more simple. When people's nearest and dearest are dying, they are usually sent for.' The fiddler gave a strange, argumentative smile. If Lomac's place and Miss Pinson's select-lodging-house wore a new face of vulgarity to Hyacinth, it may be imagined whether the renunciation of the niceties of the toilet the resigned seediness which marked mr vetch's old age was unlikely to lend itself to comparison the glossy butler at medley had had a hundred more of the signs of success in life my dear boy this case was exceptional said the old man your visit had a character of importance i don't know what you know about it i don't remember that i told you anything no certainly you have never told me much but if as is probable you have seen that kind lady who is now upstairs you will have learned that pinny made a tremendous point of your not being disturbed she threatened us with her displeasure if we should hurry you back you know what pinny's displeasure is as at this hyacinth turned away with a gesture of irritation mr vetch went on no doubt she is absurdly fanciful poor dear thing But don't now cast any disrespect upon it. I assure you, if she had been here alone, suffering, sinking, without a creature to tend her, and nothing before her but to die in a corner like a starved cat, she would still have faced that fate, rather than cut short by a single hour your experience of novel scenes." Hyacinth was silent for a moment. "'Of course I know what you mean but she spun her delusion. She always did, all of them, out of nothing. I can't imagine what she knows about my experience of any kind of scenes. I told her, when I went out of town, very little more than I told you. What she guessed, what she gathered, has been, at any rate, enough. She has made up her mind that you have formed a connection by means of which you will come, somehow or other, into your own. She has done nothing but talk about your grand kindred to her mind you know it's all one the aristocracy and nothing is simpler than that the person very exalted as she believes with whom you have been to stay should undertake your business with her friends oh well said hyacinth i'm very glad not to have deprived you of that entertainment i assure you the spectacle was exquisite then the fiddler added my dear fellow please leave her the idea leave it i'll do much more hyacinth exclaimed i'll tell her my great relations have adopted me and that i have come back in the character of lord robinson she will need nothing more to die happy mr vetch observed five minutes later after hyacinth had obtained from his old friend a confirmation of lady aurora's account of miss pinson's condition mr vetch explaining that he came over like that to see how she was half a dozen times a day five minutes later a silence had descended upon the pair while hyacinth waited for some sign from lady aurora that he might come upstairs the fiddler who had lighted a pipe looked out of the window studying intently the physiognomy of Lomax's place and hyacinth making his tread discreet walked about the room with his hands in his pockets at last mr Betch observed without taking his pipe out of his lips or looking round i think you might be a little more frank with me at this time of day and at such a crisis hyacinth stopped in his walk wondering for a moment sincerely what his companion meant for he had no consciousness at present of an effort to conceal anything he could possibly tell there were some things of course he couldn't on the contrary his life seemed to him particularly open to the public view and exposed to invidious comment it was at this moment he first observed a certain difference there was a tone in mr vetch's voice that he had never perceived before an absence of that note which made him say in other days that the impenetrable old man was diverting himself at his expense it was as if his attitude had changed become more explicitly considerate in consequence of some alteration or promotion on Hyacinth's part, his having grown older or more important, or even simply more surpassingly curious. If the first impression made upon him by Penny's old neighbour, as to whose place in the list of sacrificial, his being a gentleman or one of the sovereign people, he formerly was so perplexed, if the sentiment excited by Mr. Vetch in a mind familiar now for nearly a month with forms of indubitable gentility was not favourable to the idea of fraternisation. This secret impatience on Hyacinth's part was speedily corrected by one of the sudden reactions or quick conversions of which the young man was so often the victim. In the light of the fiddler's appeal, which evidently meant more than it said, his musty antiquity his typical look of having had for years a small definite use and taken all the creases and contractions of it his visible expression even of ultimate parsimony and of having ceased to care for the shape of his trousers because he cared more for something else these things became so many reasons for turning round going over to him touching signs of an invincible fidelity the humble continuous single-minded practice of daily duties, and an art, after all, very charming. Pursued, moreover, while persons of the species our restored prodigal had lately been consorting with, fidgeted from one selfish sensation to another, and couldn't even live in the same place for three months together. "'What should you like me to do, to say to tell you? Do you want to know what I have been doing in the country?' "'I should have first to know myself,' Hyacinth said." have you enjoyed it very much yes certainly very much not knowing anything about pinny i have been in a beautiful house with a beautiful woman mr vetch had turned round he looked very impartial through the smoke of his pipe is she really a princess i don't know what you mean by really i suppose all titles are great rot but everyone seems agreed to call her so you know i have always liked to enter into your life and to-day the wish is stronger than ever the old man observed presently fixing his eyes very steadily on hyacinths the latter returned his gaze for a moment then he asked what makes you say that just now the fiddler appeared to deliberate and at last he replied because you are in danger of losing the best friend you ever had be sure i feel it but if i have got you hyacinth added oh me i'm very old and very tired of life i suppose that that's what one arrives at well if i can help you in any way you must lean on me you must make use of me that's precisely what i was going to say to you said mr vetch should you like any money of course i should but why should you offer it to me because in saving it up little by little I have had you in mind. "'Dear, Mr. Vetch,' said Hyacinth, "'you have me too much in mind. I'm not worth it, please believe that, for all sorts of reasons. I should make money enough for any uses I have for it, or have any right to have, if I stayed quietly in London and attended to my work. As you know, I can earn a decent living.' "'Yes, I can see that. But if you stayed quietly in London, what would become of your princess?' oh they can always manage ladies in that position hanged if i understand her position cried mr vetch but without laughing you have been for three weeks without work and yet you look uncommonly smart you see my living has cost me nothing when you stay with great people you don't pay your score hyacinth explained with great gentleness moreover the lady whose hospitality i have been enjoying has made me a very handsome offer of work What kind of work? The only kind I know. She is going to send me a lot of books to do up for her. And to pay you fancy prices? Oh, no. I am to fix the prices myself. Are not transactions of that kind rather disagreeable, with a lady whose hospitality one has been enjoying? Mr. Vetch inquired. Exceedingly. That is exactly why I shall do the books and then take no money. "'Your princess is rather clever,' the fiddler exclaimed in a moment, smiling. "'Well, she can't force me to take it if I won't,' said Hyacinth. "'No, you must only let me do that.' "'You have curious ideas about me,' the young man declared. Mr. Vetch turned about to the window again, remarking that he had curious ideas about everything. Then he added, after an interval, "'And have you been making love to your great lady?' He had expected a flash of impatience in reply to this inquiry, and was rather surprised at the manner in which Hyacinth answered, "How shall I explain? It is not a question of that sort." "Has she been making love to you, then?" "If you should ever see her, you would understand how absurd that supposition is." "How shall I ever see her?" returned mr Vetch. "In the absence of that privilege, I think there is something in my idea. "'She looks quite over my head,' said Hyacinth, simply. "'It's by no means impossible you may see her. "'She wants to know my friends, to know the people who live in the place. "'And she would take a particular interest in you, on account of your opinions.' "'Ah, I have no opinions now, none any more,' the old man broke out sadly. "'I only had them to frighten Penny.' "'She was easily frightened,' said Hyacinth. "'Yes, and easily reassured. "'Well, I like to know about your life,' his neighbour sighed irrelevantly. "'But take care the great lady doesn't lead you too far.' "'How do you mean, too far? "'Isn't she an anarchist, a nihilist? "'Doesn't she go in for a general rectification, as Eustace calls it?' "'Hyacinth was silent a moment. "'You should see the place. "'You should see what she wears, what she eats and drinks.' ah you mean that she is inconsistent with her theories my dear boy she would be a droll woman if she were not at any rate i'm glad of it glad of it hyacinth repeated for you i mean when you stay with her it's more luxurious mr vetch exclaimed turning round and smiling at this moment a little rap on the floor above given by lady aurora announced that hyacinth might at last come up and see pinny Mr. Vetch listened and recognized it, and it led him to say, with considerable force, "'There's a woman whose theories and conduct do square.' Hyacinth, on the threshold, leaving the room, stopped long enough to reply, "'Well, when the day comes for my friend to give up, you'll see.' "'Yes, I have no doubt there are things she will bring herself to sacrifice,' the old man remarked. But Hyacinth was already out of hearing." End of chapter 27